Should we just bow in prayer before we start today in the 30th chapter of Numbers? Lord, we're just so thankful we could, this beautiful day, we just thank you for this. A lot of the country's in terribly winter weather still, but we just thank you that we're down here in this beautiful place. And so we thank you most of all, though, for Jesus and for the Bible. Without the Bible, we wouldn't have any compass or any way to know how to live. But the Bible teaches us what you say, what your word, how we're to live. So, Lord, we thank you. And as we go verse by verse, we just ask that you'd bless these things that we're going to look at today to our hearts. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. This 30th chapter is the law for vows, and we maybe touched on it a little. We touched on it in Leviticus, too, because evidently, over and above all the other sacrifices that the Jewish people did, they made vows to the Lord. And we know it's better not to vow than to make a vow and not keep it. But so here's what Moses said in the 30th chapter. Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes concerning the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. So this is the command of the Lord. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Or if a woman vows a vow to the Lord and binds herself by some agreement while in her father's house in her youth, and her father hears her vow and the agreement by which she has bound herself, and her father holds his peace, then all her vows shall stand, and every agreement with which she has bound herself shall stand. But if her father overrules her on the day when he hears, then none of her vows nor her agreements by which she's bound herself shall stand." And the Lord will forgive her, because her father overruled her. But if indeed she takes a husband, while bound by her vows, or a rash utterance from her lips. Now we should be able to find examples of all of these things in the Bible. A a rash utterance from her lips, or his lips, uh, by which she bound herself. And her husband hears it, and makes no response to her on the day that he hears it. Then her vows shall stand, and her agreements by which she bound herself shall stand. But if her husband overrules her on the day that he hears it, he shall make void her vow which she vowed, and what she uttered with her lips by which she bound herself, and the Lord will forgive her. But any vow of a widow or a divorced woman by which she has bound herself shall stand against her. If she vowed in her husband's house or bound herself by an agreement with an oath, and her husband heard it and made no response to her and didn't overrule her, then all her vows shall stand, and every agreement by which she bound herself shall stand. But if her husband truly made them void on the day he heard them, then whatever proceeded from her lips concerning her vows or concerning the agreement binding her, it shall not stand. Her husband has made them void, and the Lord will forgive her. Every vow, every binding oath to afflict her soul, her husband may confirm it, or her husband may make it void. But if her husband makes no response whatever to her from day to day, then he confirms all her vows or all the agreements that bind her. He confirms them because he made no response to her on the day that that he heard them. But if he does make them void after he's heard them, then he shall bear her guilt. These are the statutes which the Lord commanded Moses between a man and his wife and between a father and his daughter in her youth in her father's house. Now, so let's see some of these. One of them that just hit me uh, when I was reading Proverbs, I told you that years ago Dan Smith 
challenged, I don't know if any of the rest of you are still doing it, challenged us to read a chapter of Proverbs every day. The one for today, it would be the third proverb. Yesterday, the second. So every night before I go to bed, I read a proverb for the day. Well, after about six years, I'm kind of getting familiar with the Proverbs. But, oh, they are such wise sayings. And in um, one of them, it's in one of the early ones where this foolish youth is beguiled by her, this very wicked woman who stands outside urging him to come in. I have Egyptian cotton. Come lie with me. Anyway, one of the things that says, I've paid my vows. So she, you know, sort of religious, but lost. So in that one, I think it's the third or fourth problem. Maybe we ought to look back there and see. It's in my other Bible that I do this. It's near the front about young men. In fact, I used to get when Carol had her store, every young man that would graduate from high school or college, I would give a book of Proverbs for him because it's mainly for young men. Um, oh, yes. Chapter 5, keep yourself from the immoral woman, for the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil, but in the end she's bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps lay hold of hell. Then it tells about a young man, um, yes, this one, it's this, I think it's the seventh chapter, is that what you found? Um, there was a foolish young man, the writer of Proverbs, probably Solomon, said in verse 6, At the window of my house I looked through my lattice, saw among the simple, that's empty-headed persons that couldn't make a right decision, a young man devoid of understanding, passing along the street near her corner, and he took the path to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. Don't you love the way God says it? And the woman met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. She was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. At times she was outside, at times in the open square, lurking at every corner. So she caught him and kissed him. With an impudent face she said to him, I have peace offerings with me. Today I have paid my vows. Now then when I saw that word vows again and saw that we were seeing that in the book of Numbers, what vows did she pay? Well, they must be able to make vows and pay for them. She said, I paid my vows. I came out to meet you diligently to seek your face, and I found you. I've spread my bed with tapestry, colored coverings of Egyptian linen. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, alice, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband, so she was married, is not at home. He's gone on a long journey and has taken a bag of money with him and will come home on the appointed day. With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Immediately went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter. Don't you love this? This is exactly what happened, probably happening right now in Tampa in a lot of places. Or as a fool to the correction of the stocks, till an arrow struck his liver, as a bird hastens to the snare. He didn't know it would take his life. Now, therefore, listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Don't let your heart turn aside to her ways. Don't stray into her paths, for she's cast down many wounded, and all who were slain were strong men. Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. Now, that's one place that she mentions that she's paid her vows. Well, here's another place, a good vow. In First Samuel, turn there just quickly, First Samuel 1. Who knows when we'll get to Proverbs or 1 Samuel. 
or <laughs> judges. But notice in chapter 1, there was a certain man of Ramathim Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim, so that would be up north of Israel, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroam, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu. So he knew his genealogy, didn't he? Notice how it goes, the son of, the son of. They had to be sure that they were true Israelites. The son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives, the name of one Hannah, and the other was Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. See, in the northern kingdom, they'd moved the capital where they worshiped to Shiloh, which wasn't God's plan at all. It was Jerusalem. Also, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were up there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that her enemy provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said, Hannah, why do you weep? Why don't you eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah rose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow, underline that, she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head like John the Baptist and like Samson. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you've asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I've asked for him from the Lord. Asked from the Lord. That's what Samuel means. And the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. See, and his vow. And Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned. Then I'll take him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you've weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. So the woman stayed and nursed her son until she'd weaned him. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, and three bulls, one ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, 
and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. And they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying for the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition which I asked of him. Therefore I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worshiped the Lord there. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. She's probably thinking of this penina. Um, Let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge. And underline this verse, And by him actions are weighed. I love that. You see, the Lord is a God of knowledge. He knows everything, and he weighs our actions, not just hers, but ours. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and those who stumbled are girded with strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, and those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren is born seven, and she who has many children has become feeble. So maybe that's what happened to Penina. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he has set the world upon them. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness." So, you know, you can pray this prayer, Lord, guard my feet, will you? Because every believer in Jesus is a saint, meaning a set-apart one. So, God, please guard my feet. And I ask him, there's another place in the Proverbs that says, keep my feet from stumbling. So I've asked him, don't let me stumble and fall anymore. But the wicked shall be silent in darkness, for by strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king, now this is Messiah, and exalt the horn of his anointed. That's Jesus. That's messianic. Then Elkanah went to his house at Ramah, but the child ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. They were the priests. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, uh, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. Then he would thrust into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself all the flesh hook brought up. So they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there, the breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the heave offering, the best of it they took. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, Give meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. And the man said to him, They should really burn the fat first, and then you may take as much as your heart desires. He would then answer him, the priest would, these crazy priests, No, but you must give it to me now, and if not, I'll take it by force. Therefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, The Lord give you descendants from this woman. 
for the loan that was lent to the Lord. Then she would go to their own home. And the Lord visited Hannah, so she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. Now Eli was very old, and he heard everything his sons did to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, for it's not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, these boys did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. You see, he, he was going to kill them. And the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor, both with the Lord and men. Now, this reminds me of what we said about Jesus. He grew in stature and favor with God and men. He did. So did Samuel. Read about Samuel. If you have a time to read tonight, start with this second chapter and read how God used Samuel in wonderful, wonderful ways. But he didn't restrain his sons that he had, just like his father didn't restrain these other sons, and they died. And Samuel did the same thing. He spoiled his kids. That's what he did. And so then God took them. Now, the next one I want us to see, a vow. That Hannah's vow was a wonderful vow. But now look at this vow in Judges. This is a wonderful story, too. Chapter 11. By this time in Israel, the Ammonites uh, were oppressing the Jewish people. And the Ammonites... Do you remember where they came from? They from Lot's incestuous relationship with his daughter. And so in verse 11, chapter 11, well, the people, the last verse of 10 says, well, the leaders of Gilead said to one another, who is the man who will begin to the, the fight against the people of Ammon? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor. Just remember this Jephthah. In, in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, you know what? Who's mentioned among the heroes of faith? Not only Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, but Jephthah, the Gileadite. Now, that means a lot to me as we study the story about his life. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was the son of a harlot. And Gilead begat Jephthah. Gilead's wife bore sons, and when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall have no inheritance in our father's house, for you're the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and dwelt in the land of Tob. And worthless men banded together with Jephthah and went out raiding with him. Now it came to pass after a time that the people of Ammon made war against Israel. And so it was when the people of Ammon made war against Israel that the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. They said to Jephthah, Come be our commander, that we may fight against the people of Ammon. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Didn't you hate me? and expel me from my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you're in distress? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, That is why we've turned again to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the people of Ammon and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you take me back home to fight against the people of Ammon and the Lord delivers them to me, shall I be your head? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, The Lord will be a witness between us if we do not do according to your words. 
Then Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and commander over them. And Jephthah spoke to all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. Now Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the people of Ammon, saying, What do you have against me, that you have come to fight against me in my land? And the king of the people of Ammon answered the messengers of Jephthah, Because Israel took away my land. Now doesn't this sound kind of familiar with the Palestinians? Israel took away my land when they came out of Egypt, from the Arnon as far as the brook Jabbok, and to the Jordan River. Now therefore restore those lands peaceably. And Dr. Ryrie says in his note, Jephthah states the correct facts now concerning No, they, those weren't the right facts. Here's the correct facts concerning the Ammonites' claim to the disputed land. When Israel first captured it, it belonged to the Amorites, the Canaanites, not the Ammonites. The Ammonites lived east of the Jordan. So Jephthah again sent messengers to the king of Ammon and said, Thus says Jephthah, Israel did not take away the land of Moab, nor the land of the people of Ammon. For when Israel came up from Egypt, they walked through the wilderness as far as the Red Sea and came to Kadesh. Then Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom, that would be the Edomites from Esau, saying, Please let me pass through your land. But the king of Edom would not listen. And in like manner they sent to the king of Moab, but he wouldn't. Now Moab and Ammon were the two sons that came from Lot's daughter. They've always hated Israel. But they said to the king of Ammon, but he would not consent. So Israel remained in Kadesh. And they went along through the wilderness and bypassed the land of Edom and the land of Moab, came to the east side of the land of Moab, encamped on the other side of the Arnon brook. But they did not enter the border of Moab, for the Arnon was the border of Moab. Then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites. That would be the Canaanites, king of Heshbon. That would be in, in the land of Canaan, later in Israel. He was one of the cities, king of Heshbon. And Israel said to him, Please let us pass through your land into our place. But Sihon did not trust Israel to pass through his territory. So Sihon gathered all his people together, encamped at Jahaz, and fought against Israel. And the Lord God of Israel delivered Sihon and all of the people in, into the hand of Israel, and Israel defeated them. Thus Israel gained possession of all the land of the Amorites, the Canaanites, who inhabited the country. And they took possession of all the territory of the Amorites, from the Arnon to the Jabbok, and from the wilderness of the Jordan. See, the Amorites were also Canaanites. So now the Lord God of Israel has dispossessed the Ammonites from before his people Israel. Should you then possess it? That was his answer to them. Will you not possess whatever Chemosh your God gives you, this terrible idol, maybe like Baal? Um, so whatever the Lord our God takes possession of before us, we will possess. Now that's, these were fighting words probably to that king. And now, are you any better than Balak? the son of Zippor, king of Moab. Did he ever strive against Israel? Did he ever fight against them? While Israel dwelt in Heshbon and his villages in Ararur and his villages and all the cities along the banks of the Arnon for 300 years, why didn't you recover what you thought was your land then within that time? Therefore, I have not sinned against you, Jephthah said, but you wronged me by fighting against me. May the Lord the judge render judgment this day between the children of Israel and the people of Ammon. However, the king of the people of Ammon didn't listen to the words of Jephthah that he sent him. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah 
and he passed through Gilead, and Manasseh passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he advanced toward the people of Ammon. And Jephthah made a vow, underline that, Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the people of Ammon. When they said, if you make a rash vow, this would kind of be a rash vow, not by a woman, but by a man. When I return in peace from the people of Ammon, then whatever comes out to meet me shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So Jephthah advanced toward the people of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands. And as he defeated them from Aror as far as Mineth, twenty cities, and to Abel Karamim with a very great slaughter, thus the people of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. When Jephthah came to his house at Mizpah, there was his daughter coming out to meet him with timbrels and dancing, and she was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you brought me very low. You are among those who trouble me, for I have given my word to the Lord, and I cannot go back on it. So she said to him, My father, if you have given your word to the Lord, do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth, because the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the people of Ammon. Then she said to her father, Let this thing be done for me. Let me alone for two months, that I may go and wander on the mountains and bewail my virginity. Underline that verse. My friends and I. So he said, Go. And he sent her away for two months, and she went with her friends and bewailed her virginity, not her death. See, this killing your children is against God's law, murder. So when he vowed, That would be like a burnt offering. She would never marry, never have children, and every Jewish woman wanted to be the mother of the Messiah that would come. Well, so she would be out of that. She would bewail her virginity on the mountains. And so it was at the end of two months that she returned to her father, and he carried out his vow with which she had vowed. And here it was. She knew no man, and it became a custom in Israel. I know there are a lot of people that say he went ahead and killed her. He would not be in the 11th chapter. Notice here, I'm going to turn just so that you'll see. In the 11th chapter of Hebrews, and you can go there with me if you want to, where it lists faith is a substance, men of faith, And women of faith are in this 11th chapter of Hebrews. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by faith, the elders, now Jephthah would be one of them, obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. How God created this earth, we do not know because it's not visible to us. He used means that are not available anymore. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And Abel, even being dead, still speaks. By faith, Enoch was translated or carried across to heaven so that he didn't see death and was not found because God had translated him. So when you say, well, God never takes anyone to heaven without death. Oh, yes, he does. He did twice in the Old Testament. And maybe this year is the year he'll come to take us to heaven without dying at the rapture, like Enoch. 
He didn't see death, and he wasn't found. They must have looked for him because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony. He pleased God. All these people pleased God. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen. And then it says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would after receive as an inheritance. And Abraham went out from Ur of the Chaldees, not knowing where he was going, but God led him. Just maybe like the star led the wise men to Bethlehem in the day of Jesus. By faith, Abraham sojourned in the land of promise, that'd be Israel, like in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city. What did Abraham wait for? The city that's in Revelation, the last part that we're waiting for. The city with streets of gold and I can hardly wait. Imagine God building a city with all the jewels and all the... Well, it's going to be a wonderful place. And Abraham waited for this city, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead... Why was Abraham as good as dead? There are seven deaths in the Bible. This one is sexual death. See, there are physical death, sexual death, positional death, temporal death, operational death. (laughs) So there's these different types of death, but he couldn't bear children. He was as good as dead at 100 years old. We're born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. But all these that I mentioned died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off in the gospel and the stars, they were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things, you're a stranger here and you're a pilgrim, they declare they seek a homeland. Now, they desire a better country, a heavenly country. Then it goes on about, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. See, that's like Jephthah. He didn't have to go through with it. He didn't have to offer him up. But in God's sight, in his heart, he did it. He was willing to do whatever God wanted to do. But like Jephthah, God would not have him kill his daughter. So offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said in Isaac, your seed shall be called, not Ishmael, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which also he received him in a figurative sense. By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel. He said, I know God's going to give you that land. And when you go back into the land, many, many years later, take my bones with you. I don't want to be buried here in Egypt. I want to have a resting place in the land of Israel. Gave instructions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. And they weren't afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. And this verse, esteeming, this is what Moses esteemed, or thought a great deal of, the reproach of Christ. So he knew about Jesus Christ. That means the Messiah, 
the Savior that would come. He knew about him. They all did back there. They saw it in the stars that a virgin would bear a son. They knew all of this. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. And I was just reading in another old commentary, Halley's Handbook, Get a hold of an old Halley's handbook. The archaeological stuff in there is really fascinating. And he has a picture that they took showing that the walls fell outward. You can see this when you go over there. The walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab didn't perish with those who didn't believe when she received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? I think Paul is writing this. For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah. Uh-oh, here we have Jephthah. He killed his daughter? No, he didn't kill her. He just kept his vow. She was not ever married. She never could be the mother of the Messiah or in the line of the Messiah. And Jephthah, also of David. So he's right in here with David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, like Jephthah did. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured. See, not everybody's going to have, you know, a good, happy thing. Some are tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. You know who was sawn in two? And put in a hollow log and cut in two? Isaiah the prophet. They were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these that we've read about, Adam, Abel, Moses, Abraham, Jephthah, all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. Jesus hadn't come yet, hadn't died and risen from the dead. God having provided something better for you and me, for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Therefore, since we also are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, look at all this cloud. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, and all these people. We're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight. And so there's different things. It's like trying to run the marathon with a weight around your ankle. It isn't sin, but it's a weight. See, there's some things that we're carrying around that are weights. They aren't sin, but they hinder the the winning of the race, the winning of excellence. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. So there are weights and there are sins. And let us run with endurance 
the race that's set before us. There was a race set before Abel, a race set before Abraham, and there's a race set before you and me. So let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking unto Jesus. See, this is the idea. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. All right, now back to our passage here in Judges. We've seen about vows. We've seen that Jephthah did not kill his daughter, but along with her, bewailed her virginity, that she didn't have a child. That should settle it as somebody brings that before you. You know, you're going to have this brought up to you. God would have killed his daughter. No, he didn't. I want you to have it all in your mind, no matter what notes you read about it. So then chapter 31 says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Now, after that talk about vows, seems like a little insert, but I just want to bring you some of the vow-taking in the Bible. Just It's very interesting, all these stories. Remember, all these stories are written as examples to us. So we're, we're to really read them to see the examples of how we're to order our lives, or stay away from this, or embrace this. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take vengeance on the Midianites for the children of Israel. Now, Midianites were close relatives, weren't they? After Sarah died, Abraham remarried, and he married a woman named Keturah. She had six sons, and they went off into Saudi Arabia. They're the Arabian. And when Moses left Egypt, he went down to Midian. And that's where he married a girl, a Midianite girl, Zipporah. And he said, take vengeance now on these Midianites. Afterward, you shall be gathered to your people. So after the time of Moses, the Midianites and all these people around, just like today, all the people that are related to the Jews, all around them, hate them. And they want to do away with them. And they never will, but they want to. So Moses spoke to the people, arm some of yourselves for the war and let them go against the Midianites to take vengeance for the Lord of Midian. A thousand from each tribe of all the tribes of Israel, 12,000 people, you shall send to the war. So there were recruited from the divisions of Israel, 1,000 from each tribe, 12,000 armed for war. Then Moses sent them to the war, 1,000 from each tribe. He sent them to the war with Phinehas, the son of Eleazar. You remember we saw Phinehas last week? He was honored as being the priest of the Lord forever because he took a javelin when the Midianite woman seduced one of the men of Israel and they were in her tent and he threw the javelin right through their bodies. And God said, I'm going to reward you for that. So Phinehas was very famous, the son of Eleazar the priest with the holy articles and the signal trumpets in his hand. Remember we spent a whole chapter on the trumpets See, the signal trumpets, there was a trumpet sound for everything. Go to war, stop war, go have your feast now. There was a trumpet blast. Each one, they knew what the blast meant. So I don't know exactly what the signal trumpet is. And they warred against the Midianites, just as the Lord commanded Moses. And they killed all the males. Now God said, wipe them all out. They killed all the males. They killed the kings of Midian with the rest of those who were killed, namely Eve, Rechem, Zur, Hur, and Reba, the five kings of Midian, and Balaam, the son of Beor, they also killed with the sword. So he died the sin unto death, 
He was a real prophet of the Lord, but Second Peter 2.15 says he'd do anything for money. And so uh, whatever you do, you're going to pay for. So he died with these Midianites. They also killed with the sword Balaam. And the children of Israel took all the women of Midian captive. Now this was a big mistake. With all their little ones, took the spoil, all their cattle, their flocks, and their goods. They also burned with fire all the cities <coughs> where they dwelt and all their forts. And they took all the spoil and all the booty, both of man and beast. Then they brought the captives, the booty, and the spoil to Moses, to Eleazar the priest, and to the congregation of the children of Israel, to the camp in the plains of Moab, by the Jordan, across from Jericho. So evidently Jericho's right there at the Jordan, and then across the Jordan, you look across from there, and you can see where Jerusalem is. And so on the opposite side of the Jordan is where the Moabites lived and the Ammonites lived. So that's where they were camped. They were in the plains of Moab. Verse 12, by the Jordan across from Jericho. And Moses, Eleazar the priest, and all the leaders of the congregation went to meet them outside the camp. But Moses was angry with the officers of the army, with the captains over thousands and captains over hundreds who had come from the battle. And Moses said to them, have you kept all the women alive? Look, these women caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. Now therefore kill every male among the little ones and kill every woman who has known a man intimately. But keep alive for yourselves all the young girls who have not known a man intimately. And as for you, remain outside the camp seven days. Whoever has killed any person, whoever has touched any slain, purify yourselves and your captives on the third day and on the seventh day. Purify every garment, everything made of leather, everything woven of goat's hair, and everything made of wood. Then Eleazar the priest said to the men of war who had gone to the battle, this is the ordinance of the law, which the Lord commanded Moses. Only the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, the tin, and the lead, everything that can endure fire, you shall put through the fire, and it shall be clean, and it shall be purified with the water of purification. But all that cannot endure fire, you shall put through water. Now, does this bring you into the New Testament when we stand before the Lord? All of our production in the Christian life is going to be tested by fire. Now, if it's gold, silver, precious stones, it'll go through the fire and you'll have reward. If all of the things you've done for the Lord is like wood, hay, stubble, it'll go through the fire and be burned up. But you'll get into heaven so as by fire. That's in the third chapter of 1 Corinthians. That's kind of a sobering thing, isn't it? But we're all going to stand before him. But once you're saved, you're saved. But there are rewards for faithfulness. So whatever that Lord asks you to do, just do it faithfully. Because you can't outgive him. You can't promise him anything that he won't just bless you more than you could imagine. Above and beyond whatever you ask, he will do. So he said, purify everything. Then Eleazar the priest said to the men of war who had gone to the battle, this is the ordinance of the Lord. Only the gold, silver, the bronze, the iron, the tin, and the lead, everything can endure fire. You shall put through the fire. It shall be clean and purified with the water of purification. But all that cannot endure fire, you shall put through water. And you shall wash your clothes on the seventh day and be clean. And afterward, you may come into the camp. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, you see, in another place I think of it says, they that bear the vessels of the Lord must be clean. 
That means God wants us clean. That means pure from inside, not only outside, but on the inside. So if there's anything in your life that you know is in God's sight is unclean, to ask him to forgive you and he'll cleanse you right away and give you a new start. And me too. And you shall wash your clothes and be clean. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, count up the plunder that was taken, both of man and beast. You and Eliezer the priest and the chief fathers of the congregation divide the plunder into two parts between those who took part in the war, who went out to battle and all the congregation and levy a tribute for the Lord on the men of war who went out to battle. One of every 500 of the persons, the cattle, the donkeys, and the sheep, take it from their half and give it to Eliezer the priest as a heave offering to the Lord. And from the children of Israel's half, you shall take one of every 50 drawn from the persons, the cattle, donkeys, sheep, livestock, and give them to the Levites who keep charge of the tabernacle of the Lord. So Moses and Eliezer the priest did as the Lord commanded, and the booty remaining from the plunder which the men of war had taken was 675,000 sheep, 72,000 cattle, 61,000 donkeys, and 32,000 persons in all of women who had not known a man intimately. And the half, the portion for those who had gone out to the war, was in number 337,500 sheep. And the Lord's tribute of the sheep was 675, and the cattle were 36,000, of which the Lord's tribute was 72. The donkeys were 30,500, of which the Lord's tribute was 61. The persons were 16,000. So when they took this, this Midian must have been very wealthy, and they had all of this wealth that they got, but they had to put it in the right place. So Moses gave the tribute, which was the Lord's heave offering, to Eliezer the priest, as the Lord commanded Moses. And from the children of Israel's half, which Moses separated from the men who fought, now the half belonging to the congregation was 337,500 sheep, 36,000 cattle, 30,500 donkeys, and 16,000 persons. And from the children of Israel's half, Moses took one of every 50, drawn from man and beast, and gave them to the Levites, who kept charge of the tabernacle of the Lord, as the Lord commanded Moses. See, the Levites didn't have any inheritance, so the others had to share with them all that they had. Then the officers who were over thousands of the army, the captains of thousands, the captains of hundreds, came near to Moses. And they said to Moses, your servants have taken account of the men of war who are under our command, and not a man of us is missing. Therefore, we have brought an offering for the Lord. What every man found of ornaments, gold, armlets, bracelets, signet rings, earrings, and necklaces to make atonement for ourselves before the Lord. So Moses and Eliezer the priest received the gold from them, all the fashioned ornaments and all the gold of the offering that they offered to the Lord. From the captains of thousands and captains of hundreds and was 16,750 shekels. The men of war had taken spoil, every man for himself. And Moses and Eliezer the priest received the gold from the captains of thousands and of hundreds and brought it into the tabernacle of meeting as a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord. Now we'll stop today and the next week, I don't know how far we'll get, but we're almost at the end of numbers. You'd think we would finish. Maybe we will next week. I don't know. But anyway, I wanted to see about one other thing that I was thinking of telling you. It was in Judges. Judges chapter 8. When they took the booty from these lands that they conquered. Um, verse 21. I wanted to just bring this out. I have before, but I wanted you to see it. 
because it relates to today. So Zeba and Zalmunna said, Arise yourself, kill us, for as man is, so is his strength. So Gideon arose and killed Zeba and Zalmunna and took the crescent ornaments that were on their camel's necks. See, they worshipped the moon god back then. This is long before Mohammed. Long before the University of Tampa has a crescent on top of it. Where did it come from? The worship of the moon god. So they had this, all the Midianites, they all worshipped a false god, the moon god. And so they took the crescent ornaments, which is the moon, which were on their camel's necks. And the men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us. So for they had the golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. Anyway, I thought that's an interesting thing because today, that's what we see on the sword of Islam. It's that crescent. See, that's where it came from, long before Mohammed. He knew about the Bible. Lord, we thank you for this time in your word. Just bless it to our hearts that we might meditate on these things and think about them and ruminate on them like cows chew the cud. That's what you want us to do with your word. So may we read it every day. Take it into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.